Welcome to the Global CISO Forum, the podcast for information security executives. Forum podcast. I'm your host, Amber Pedrincelli. With me today is Martin Noblock. He is the global AppSec strategist at Microfocus. Um, and he's a longtime information security leader. He has more than 15 years of experience in the field. Um, his background is in software development and architecture, but his focus now is on software security. Um, he's actively involved in OWASP in the Netherlands, where he's a frequent contributor to various projects and initiatives, and he is a member of the board of directors for OWASP. Welcome to the show, Martin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so you have a really interesting background. So you started in software development and architecture. Yeah, so in the end of the 90s, uh, there were a lot of development requests. Uh, and then I just got in love with uh, programming, Java programming. And that's how I rolled into software development in the late 90s. Wow, been at this a while. I like it. <laughs> so from yeah. software development, you moved into architecture? Yes, it's... Uh, uh, I'm kind of uh, stubborn. I think I know things better. That's how you come to development. You think about it. Uh, I think it could be better. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this was my interest. So, that there has to be a, a quite better architecture. So, I have to do it myself for the thing. Uh, when you're young and stubborn, you think, I can do it better. That's how you mm-hmm. move towards architecture. Right. Then. Yes. Yeah. So, you've done a lot of uh, learning and growing in your career. It sounds like you've. Um moved into new and exciting fields, um, and now you're in AppSec. Um, but you've you've actually been doing AppSec for a while. Tell me about that. Yeah, so it's my background from industry. That's a very physical understanding of security. So I came into web development, software development, and back in the early 2000s, everyone was like, ah, nothing goes wrong. Everybody will use software as required. The user has to be trained. They won't do that. All the statements we know that in the physical world, you can rely on, but in the digital world, people thought that is how it should work. So when I moved to the software development architecture, and I was like, hey guys, what happens if, what would be if? They were like, oh, nobody will do that. So I was looking for resources back to 2005, my company back then, I found the security task force. And in 2006, there was an OWASP conference in Belgium, which is very close by for me. So. I visited the OWASP conference. I went there and I just got hooked by OWASP. All the resources and material I needed, other six people with the same interest were there sharing, no matter where you come from, no matter what is your experience level, everybody has the same interest. Secure software development makes software secure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I uh, did some research on your, your profile before we started talking and You've, it seems like OWASP has been part of your life for a very long time. Um, and I, you were the president for a while of of your chapter, or was that the international board? So when I come back in from Belgium, I thought that we had a chapter in the Netherlands. So I was mm-hmm. uh, able to revive those. Um, I'm a, in a chapter board of Netherlands ever since 2007, eight. Uh, they were the first almost global summit, 2008 and 11. So I got involved in the global committees. And finally, when we, uh, 2011, we started OWASP, uh, have only elected board members. And I got elected uh, the last time in 2018, but actually I was a runner up in the 2016 elections. Unfortunately, the one who got elected, she had to uh, step down to health issues. So they asked me to step in. Oh. So that's oh, how I got in the OWASP global board. 
and I've been wow. chair of the board for 2018 and 19, indeed. Wow, yeah, you've really um, done a lot there, it seems like. So um, they helped you learn, and now you're helping others learn, is what it sounds like. Um, so let's get into software security. Um, <laughs> with software security, uh, how do you keep a CISO at ease? Do you do you have to deal a lot with CISOs and, and explain to them um, where their flaws might be and then calm them down? <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of a, a development currently. So in the past of traditional CISOs, they think about risk and when you look at the high level risk of a CISO, the software is not on their uh, uh, high target because they think they extend the risk. Mm. A CISO is about risk and mitigating risk. And not every CISO understands that this day the risk in software is really actually high. So that you have a different immaturity of the companies. If they have a CISO, most of them don't even have a CIO, they're like a CTO running everything that has to do with uh, the digital world and operations and the CEO, and that's it. So you see the development in actually having a CISO is now required. And when you have uh, the compliance, and that when you have a good CISO, the modern types is that they understand importance and the risk of place within software. Mm-hmm. So in the traditional CISO, they, they understand the basics, so you have to understand, make them understand they actually live best with. So you have sort of missionary work, outcome work explaining, and you have more uh, up-to-date uh, CISO who understands software development and the requirements and risks within software. Then it's very easy. There's not much you have to convince them, but then you have to give them the right tools. We see currently a lot of tools come from uh, detecting vulnerabilities, but the CISO is about risk. So how can we not detect vulnerabilities, but how we mitigate vulnerabilities, how we find them? That's much a different mm-hmm. way. Well, first of all, when you start a CISO, what is my, is my application landscape? Where are my servers? That, that's the first thing you have to understand. Uh, they have to find. And then turning down the software is far away, so they don't want to be involved in software development, but they want to see, control, and monitor the software development goes in the right direction. Right. So, uh, zooming out a little bit, how do you how do you start getting in in control of software security in general, like at a at a, a new organization, for example? What well, you see, it's depending. So most of the times, it can be driven by compliance. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of technical business uh, compliance is not security. Yes, but when you use compliance right, it can be a driver for security. Mm-hmm. You have to start somewhere. And the first thing I said starts with quality. When I, if I would try to learn high jumping, I would put a part not on the world record because it's an unachievable goal for me. So the first thing is to look at the bar, what is the achievable risk or what is my current state? And from there, to look and where do I want to spend my time on and raise the bar slowly. So the first thing, where am I? This may not even security, because not everything has a security uh, label on it, but just where I'm with my quality, to have everything in place to, to understand what my mm-hmm. security is, what my quality level is, what is my requirements. And from there, you slowly raise the bar, become more uh, mature, more quality-driven, and thereby more security-driven. And is that where the developers come in or are training the developers? Is it you focus more on quality than security? Or how much responsibility for security should be put on the development teams? Yeah, we just look at the, the DevOps development. They have 
the teams, development teams, have the credit to create responsibility of their applications. So they're uh, responsible to put it in production and keep it running. But then they also have now inherited the uh, responsibility for keep it secure. But that means one side that you need mature and seasoned experienced developer. You need craftsmen. In a craftsmanship, you understand what the risk is. And the other side, when they have the uh, responsibility, you also have to give them the ability how to measure. So one side is training, but we don't scale for training. We try to train people for many years and we fail because we get much more developers than security people. So we cannot keep up with training them when they are in the job in the company. This training part must come to the educations when you have the school examples, the universities and stuff. What we can do is show them where the security thing is. So, but not a sprint late, what you had in the past. Prior to DevOps, you had the security toolkit. So you wrote your code, you checked it in, and from development to test, you required a static code analysis. From test to user acceptance, you need a dynamic scan. This is too late. It's two months, three months later, it's four sprints after that. So when I ask you, what did you do on Wednesday two weeks ago? You have to think hard to, to understand and recapture what you did back then. So when I come to you, hey, there's a security fall two sprints ago. They have mm-hmm. no idea what they have to fix. Your brain is on a different logic. You're busy with the current sprint. And then also, when you have to change, those changes they also have the impact of the sprints already developed or in development. So the mm-hmm. early feedback, that's very essential. So does the, the acceleration of the adoption to DevOps, does that hurt or help organizations as far as security is concerned in general? There are two sides. I think definitely with DevOps, when you look at the edge of these days, I think the big advantage is automation. They automate wherever they can automate. I think that's a big advantage also for security because it means you can also, they are trained to automate and automate the security testing. Nothing mm-hmm. is, is more suited for automation as static code analysis. They have one environment where they write source code, and that's this day is the, the uh, code repository of um, build tool of choice is Git and the environments. So those are made already for automated unit testing, for automated integration tests. So yes, that's a big advantage. They're also seasoned and, and experienced in this security test automation. And the feedback mm-hmm. loop, what I said, putting in your bar, where are you, and raising the bar for errors when you cannot adjust uh, allow automated to pass through, but you have to fix stuff. Mm-hmm. So do you, have any, do you have any incentives that you've used for developers uh, to, to prize security um, or, or to incentivize them to, to treat security appropriately? Yes, definitely. So in the past, people tried to use the stick, and that doesn't help. I cannot go mm-hmm. to somebody and say, hey, you have an active child, because the blood, sweat, and tears of developers is in the source code. The, so, uh, the applications, the software that they build, there's all the passion in it, and you have to develop us. So and in the past, security people came in and said, oh, your kid is ugly. Then expected an open discussion. That will not work. Mm-hmm. It's a big change now to say, okay, we help you, support you. So we don't question on the security uh, risk, uh, the uh, vulnerabilities that have developed, but we have to appreciate when they come early and appreciate the ideas. It doesn't have to be an incentive by money or whatever because you cannot pay them by what they're not doing. But you can right. 
encourage them and hear them and support them, make their life easier with security. And then the appreciation, of course, recognition of what it did well. Mm-hmm. And is training, uh, secure code development, that kind of thing, is, is training part of your, your overall strategy for your developers? Yes, yes, of course, there's a new project, it's a new type. So you don't want to make the developers security specialists, but they have to understand mm-hmm. security. As they have to understand all the first uh, aspects of their work. So the training, yes, but not training them abstract, global, uh, universal application security. That will not help. You, you cannot just mm-hmm. put 60 people of a development team for one week in a classroom and say, okay, now we speak uh, uh, security training over stop 10, and you get a Java training whereby they are, I don't know, .NET or Ruby on Rails developers. That will not help. So the question is, where can we give them the training on spot where they need it, and in context, what they need. There are good mm. tools for that already out there. So, as you know, my folks were for joint venture with um, secure code barriers, where you cannot just learn mm. abstract about anything to do with security, but what you're busy with, what you're developing, what is your source code, and have examples related to that context, to the things that you're working on right now. Right. That sounds That sounds like the way to do it. So... Tell us about your work at Microfocus. Um, what does Microfocus do and what's your role there? So Microfocus is known for a, a big portfolio. As myself, I'm part of the 45 product management team. My role is as application security strategist to see how we can leverage and engage to be cutting edge technology solutions for our customers to improve security. Everybody can send license, but to bring them, help them get more mature in application security, not only on the technical part, but also internally with their uh, application security postures, their roadmaps, their uh, whole, uh, sorry, the roadmaps and the growth path to increase application security. How our products can fit in, but it's not just a product, it's how our methodology can fit and leverage most ideally in their work and bring the feedback from the field back to our development teams to go to write uh, the functionality, deliver the functionality that our customers deserve and request from us. That sounds fascinating. So, I mean, and you must deal with it all the time, but what are one or two of your top suggestions for organizations when they, if they want to start or improve their AppSec program? The first thing, look where you are. This is the best thing. So don't try to to stop everything and say, okay, we cannot do anything. Uh, fix all the issues. That will not help. So you have to realize that's something maybe when you get all done and create uh, hairs that you nothing has to be changed at once. Of course, everything that is toilable, high risk issues, they have to fix. But when you come with some security tool, whatever you have, the first scan is the situation as is. So the first thing is like the baseline scan. If it's dynamic or static, I don't care. It's like this is a situation which is already out there in production. So look at that and don't pinpoint on all the different vulnerabilities, but look on the vulnerability types do you want to focus on with the biggest very quick win. So not just looking oh, all high or medium vulnerabilities has to be you know, high critical vulnerabilities have to be fixed, but want to fix it mm-hmm. in code. But it's something I heard a lot uh, in the blogs and in the video cast 
on how can I maybe develop a secure way on doing this functionality. So not patient from, oh, you should have done this differently, but deliver a way securely. And maybe not only looking on the vulnerabilities you have, but look at the, can we measure what secure parts your default is used? The default will use less insecure ways. Quality, appreciate developers. Look at the technology stack from what you do and look for the how to enable developers to write the code by making security defaults to make it easier to write secure code and secure functionality. And is that the major gap you see between security and development? Yeah, I think one of the major gaps is that people have been quite in the, our time is very technology uh, appreciating. So we think we have a problem, we look for technology to solve our problem. I think that the biggest thing is what mm -hmm. we should do is we should focus also on the people side. So the security people go to developers. In the past, I have seen so many talks where the developers, uh, security people, are talking about the developers and they are not doing it right, do everything wrong. As I said, they're blaming and uh, bashing them about how they would work. But they, most of the, the security people are not able to develop. And I think that's a big advantage that I have in my uh, luggage have been a developer means I can talk developers. So when I go there, they can look at me when I was in my career as a security consultant and say, oh, did you do the security? And I said, no, of course not. And they looked at me like, what? Mm -hmm. No, I come here for maybe a week assignment, two week assignment, I cannot do security. So I, together we look in the security of your application and we look together, we will find a way how to improve it. That's what so can be. I think that the human aspect and the outgoing interacting with developers the same height in the high height right. that's important i mean it, it seems like you know we have a lot of CISO listeners on this show it seems like a lot of what CISOs do it has to come down to collaborating as opposed to imposing security rules or um you know coming down with a heavy hand that doesn't seem to work it's always about getting buy-in and the same thing should be done with development teams is is your point yes I, i've seen it um in past projects that I talked to the uh, a CISO and he said, whom do you need to be on the table with? And I start, yes, from the board to develop testers. He says, do you want to talk to everybody? He said, yes, I think this is the great thing about the CISO. You, it's not just one level. You should be like everywhere in the CISO office, not by yourself as CISO, but hopefully you have a team. So you, everybody should know you. You have to be visible. We don't need a CISO that is hidden somewhere in the uh, ivory tower. You have to be in between. In the past, we had a CISO of the Ministry of No, and that's something that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I many times refer to a talk from Ines Soili, where I said, um, you want to help somebody, shut up and listen. And it's a great TED talk where he says, how can you engage with people? And the first to listen. So for the developer, it means like, what is the new framework you want to use? What is the new technology you're building on? When they are interested about what they're doing, don't kill it by saying no, but listen to it and ask, uh, ask the right questions so they think about security. So what would be if? How, have you thought about that? That's mm -hmm. helping. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's no reason for it to be an adversarial relationship, but it seems like that, that can happen. I have seen uh, customers where the CISO and the development uh, departments that don't talk to each other anymore, then you lost. Well, hopefully that hopefully that's not a current trend. What other trend do you see any trends in software <laughs> development that that impacts security um, going on right now? Yeah, a lot. 
I think they see it as an overstock 10, uh, overstock 10 about the top 10 security risk. And in mm-hmm. of 13, we have the risk of unknown vulnerabilities in a third-party component. I think that's getting bigger and bigger. We have more and more external or even open source components in our production software in space. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at what is the, our uh, I call it supply chain cleanness. Mm-hmm. We have, of course, developers, DevOps, uh, sometimes trying to be wild west. They say, okay, I have this new framework, it's version 0.7.8, better, let's use it because this great functionality. But yes, when you develop business applications, we need a bit more maturity. So don't worry about looking more mature, like how secure, how well maintained are those open source libraries that you import. And this mm-hmm. is what, even if they're vulnerable, yes, Chuck and Chuck say no, but it's a vulnerability uh, a problem in the context of how we use this component. And then, of course, what these days are really big is APIs. So also it's now an uh, API, a top 10 about API security, because now this interconnecting applications gets bigger and bigger. Right. Yeah, I had a um, an interview with a CISO who's going to present at the Global CISO Forum, and his whole talk is about APIs. And he was oh, yeah. on a small team, and he had to really dive in and learn about them. And he was kind of shocked <laughs> about how many vulnerabilities <laughs> there could be and how widespread they are. And it was like he learned this thing, and he really wanted to tell other CISOs about it. Um, and I'm sure you're very familiar with that problem. Oh, yes. Sometimes I hear people, I remember that we wrote this big monolith, and people are like, oh, this is bad. So maybe it's not that bad, because you have anything, everything in your jurisdiction, your, your responsibilities. Then we start in this Microsoft APIs, like who is doing the governance, who's doing the orchestration, who's responsible, where you keep all the secrets you have to store in the different applications. So they have their own right of existence, but you have to think about the new risks you import, the new problems you put in mm-hmm. your plate. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of times CISOs may not um, be thinking about all this. So uh, it's a good thing there's people like you out there helping them. <laughs> yes, and I think not every, a CISO cannot know everything about everything. It's like right. they are humans too, but they need a team. And that's how we now have this time, uh, the, the security architects, people who are mm-hmm. in between the CISO and the enterprise architects are where they go to and think about the security concerns. But the CISO wants to have an insurance about what is the status, what is the maturity. So we mm-hmm. should deliver them not only the list of vulnerabilities per team, but what's the global risk? Am I affected? What's my global holistic overview of my software environment in my company? Mm-hmm. Wow, this is fascinating stuff. Um, I uh, hope that our audience got a lot out of it and will think uh, more about their, their AppSec programs. Um, and maybe people will reach out to you on LinkedIn if they have questions. Um, it seems like you're pretty active on that platform. Um, is there anything anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, uh, I think that, I think the general joint venture and the human aspect, I think that's the uh, mm-hmm. most important thing. To, we all work in a company for the same goal, and that's to and uh, we make should make our lives easier, not harder. Mm-hmm. Share and care for each other. Right. Yeah. Great points. Um, and I think there's there's so much resonance with that and the the rest of the CISO's role um, as they work with other departments and get buy-in. So um, 
a great reminder to apply that same same thing to development teams and their software security programs. Um, well, I really appreciate you coming on, Martin, and uh, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with all the questions. And I uh, hope to have you on again. We maybe can talk about a specific incident or something. If something happens, I'd love to to pick your brain. <laughs> Thank you, Emma. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Global CISO Forum, the podcast for information security executives.